it's time to come together. This conversation is at the next step. Culture is set by leadership and who you choose to put into positions of leadership. It's not as though the cancer is out of the body. It's not. Leadership of an organization at the very top is really important. They are the culture carriers. The collective women's voices have had the courage to rise up and say, enough. Something about shining a spotlight on a problem that helps break the taboo. It helps lift the stigma. We have to collaborate. It takes everybody. Accountability is something that we cannot afford to lose. We cannot let that go. We need to redefine respect. It isn't enough to simply talk about equality. One must believe in it. The day I start fighting for equality and for people that look like you and me will be the day I'm in my grave. I'm Diana Pierce Burgess, and this is Press Forward, a podcast where we have conversations about workplace equality and solutions in our post-MeToo world. I'm a former journalist who, along with 12 courageous women, created Press Forward to change culture in American newsrooms and beyond. We look at new approaches and outside-the-box ideas, or reflect on past mistakes to find lessons learned so that everyone can do their best work, because this is not just a gender issue, it's one of human decency. Joining us today is one of the most incredible women I've had the honor to get to know in the past two years, my Press Forward co-founder, Kyle Godfrey Ryan. She began her career in politics and journalism, but after a few years in the industry, she exited and directed her attention towards the wellness industry. She is the founder and CEO of Tune, a human refueling station that would allow people to charge their systems back to 100%. Their tagline, which I love, is making people happy one tune at a time. We'll hear more about this shortly. But Kyle also courageously came forward in 2017 to tell her story about sexual harassment at the hands of journalist Charlie Rose. She is grace personified, and today she is here to have a conversation with me about truth and reconciliation, among other things. Kyle, one of the things that you and I have talked about over the past two years, which has been really important to both of us, and we've had some long conversations about this, is the issue of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. forgiveness, redemption. This conversation evolves uh, over the last two years, and it will continue to evolve. And as we are both women who have been impacted by harassment and abuse of power, it is important to take a step back at this point and try to understand where do we go from here? With regard to your story, can you at least just talk us through a little bit the last two years in terms of how you handled this personally, but also with your family? Mm-hmm. And then I want to go into further conversation about, about where we go from here. For sure. Thank you for having me, first of all. No, of course. Um, so I think I did get to enter the Me Too movement from a state of privilege. Um, by the time I was contacted by the Washington Post, I had already long forgiven Charlie. I was not carrying any pain by that point. So over the first month of us speaking, I was doing everything off record just to help them. I knew there were a lot of women that were speaking to them, and I had no problem filling in the gaps, particularly because the reporters that I was speaking with happened to know a lot about me. Uh, So they had a lot of details, and a lot of our conversations were really just confirming. But then it got to a point where all of the other women were afraid to come forward. And that was when I had to have a conversation with my kids about what it could mean 
if I would give my name and if I were the only person that gave their name. And it was a conversation over a weekend that we kept on having. And they would they would vacillate back and forth of like, well, I don't want you to deal with that or I don't want me to deal with that to, yes, it's important for you to do until it was my daughter that said, but mommy, do you think this is still happening to the women that he's working with now? I took a deep breath and I thought about it in real time. I was like, oh, yes. Probably that mm-hmm. is that probably is happening, and they were both like, "Well, then you don't have a choice, Mom. Of course you have to." And I went and got my like crisis PR attorney, and I agreed that I would be the first and possibly the only person to give her name. And there were two other people after I said yes that were kind enough in the beginning to follow suit, and we kind of stepped into the next abyss. I have to stop you right there. It is amazing to me the courage, and I'm gonna get teary here but it is amazing to me the courage that that took to do that and because I know there's a lot of women that don't they they keep silent they don't talk about these things they don't come forward they carry this private pain and I just want you to just explain to me at least what was the trigger in your head that said I have to do this I think part of it had to do with the fact that I've done a lot of healing work on myself before I got that first phone call. Not carrying the pain and having any rawness of that experience allowed me to feel that small space of discomfort of, yes, this might be a national story, yes, there might be some embarrassment and there might be some vulnerability, but that's not such a big deal if we're looking at over 100 women that can't speak up. That is not the priority at that point. Kyle. Tell us, tell us in our audience, um, just remind us a little bit about um, your story and what happened with Charlie. Sure. Um, well, I started working for Charlie uh, when I was 21 years old, and I was so excited for this really amazing opportunity. Uh, but within the first week, um, there was behavior that made me uncomfortable. He would degrade me and he would grope me. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the executive producer who confirmed that this was just Charlie being Charlie. And I believed that. So for the next two years as the behavior magnified, um, I continued to talk about it with all my coworkers. It was uh, mostly out in the open, though there are a lot of, I guess, private conversations as well. Um, but it was a culture within that newsroom where harassment and beratement, not just of me, but the other coworkers, and consistent sexual harassment was just part of the workplace. Um, so I was very open and public with what I was experiencing working for Charlie, the good and the bad. Um, I think, and I still have a lot of respect for Charlie. Um, But I shared some of the sexual harassment uh, with a dear friend who happened to know Charlie as well. And Charlie came back to me with this information the next day and was furious for obvious reasons. And he was angry and embarrassed and wanted me to deny it. Um, And I was let go. I hear this story and I am angry. I'm angry uh, at the people around you for not listening to you, for not the people that were older than you who clearly knew this behavior wasn't right, who didn't do anything. I'm angry at Charlie, I'm angry, I mean, there's a lot of people I'm angry at. Um, 
how did you deal with this? I mean, you, how did, what were your emotions at that time? And talk to us to, through the evolutions of that, of your emotions. Um, so there were a few things. I, I had a, an incredible childhood, but I also experienced extensive abuse. So working for Charlie, uh, the words that he would say to me echoed the words I already had in my head. So when he would tell me I was worthless, I would think, you're right. <laughs> I am worthless. Um, so when I was first let go, a lot um, of the experience I was having was great disappointment in myself. And I saw myself as a human that wasn't resilient enough to make it. Mm-hmm. And that that piece was very difficult. Um, in terms of the other people that I work with, um, there have been times where I've looked back and I was I was disappointed with them. Um, I was angry with them. I felt betrayed. Um, but I eventually got to a place where they were working in the same unhealthy environment that I was. They were the same people with the lack of resources, living in their dream job, and terrified to to lose it. And that's part of why creating a specific culture is so important. Mm-hmm. Because if the culture of that office was different, mm-hmm. I can tell you every single one of those people would have stood up and said, that's not acceptable. Right. We're doing really great work here. We're here to change the world. That's what we think we're doing. And this is getting in the way. Right. And it would have been nipped in the bud. You must come from a family of strong women to withstand the things that you've withstood um, and dealt with the things that you've dealt with. And I would just love to hear a little bit more about the uh, way that you got from there Mm -hmm. to starting a company uh that is helping people uh happiness you know bringing happiness to people um you know walk us through that process Mm -hmm. of where you were then and how you got to here Mm -hmm. we really want to hear that that's important you are right um i do come from a family of very strong women um actually both of my great grandmothers were suffragettes. Uh, one of my great-grandmothers founded the Barbizon Hotel so women could travel by themselves. Oh my, uh, my great-great-grandfather bought my his daughter, my great-grandma, a car on her 19th birthday in 1918 because he thought that she needed to drive herself to school. And she was going oh to the Academy of Arts. Um, my mom actually was the first female executive at Chase Manhattan Bank, and it was not easy for her. Yeah. She was there when women didn't have positions that were higher than a secretary. Mm-hmm. And she dealt with things that were a lot worse than what I dealt with, things that would never happen in Wall Street today. And society has moved. We yeah. have progressed. Yeah. We're not there yet. We'll never be there. It will always get better. Mm-hmm. But we have come a long way. Your company, <laughs> bringing happiness to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that's near and dear to you. And uh, walk us through the inception and how this idea came to you and what you what you did to, to bring it into its fruition. Um, well, I spent the last 10 years working in the wellness industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I have become an expert and I used to run a private practice where I combine traditional medicine 
um, and alternative medicine. And mm -hmm. we would transform people's illnesses by altering their epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing that, I realized that the unifying quality of each human is the way, the, the basic operating system of our body. We all literally vibrate the same way. And I got really interested in a technology that could allow people to enter states of happiness with ease. And the reason why that is so important is because I deeply believe in the human spirit. Mm -hmm. And I believe when people feel good, they can do good. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create and scale a technology that allowed humans at mass to quickly upgrade their systems and then have choice. Because when you are stressed and you feel broken, you know what? You're gonna make stressed, broken decisions and yourself and everyone around you will be equally affected. Mm -hmm. do, you think, do you think this path that you took, mm -hmm. do you think this is um, something that was in any way influenced by what happened with Charlie? Or do you think that was always there and it just was something that has always been you? Or do you think it's a combination of both? Uh, I think um, Charlie, working for Charlie and in that environment was the last time I was going to work in any situation where I felt like I was a worthless human being. And I ended up doing a lot of work that led to another degree and led it, me into these into this wellness direction. Um, so yes, like of course, everything ties back to everything. If I had access to this technology back then, uh, my compass would have been a bit stronger and I would have felt strong enough to say, I don't feel good when you do that. Mm -hmm. But at that point in my life, saying those words would have been unimaginable. Mm -hmm. And you were doing all of this, you've, you haven't you mentioned, so I'm going to mention it for you. You were doing all of this while also trying to start your own company. It was. What? I what launched my company. Thinking? I know. I was a year into um, the company being beta. That year, we demoed 5,000 people through the technology, and my company is all about bringing happiness. Right. And that was my biggest pain point, where I was like, I'm the face of a company that's about bringing joy, and now I'm going to be like, also sexual harassment. Like, it just felt... <laughs> a little off brand mm -hmm. um, and then I had to get over myself and realize that we we're all more than one thing if that was a badge that I was going to wear from that point forward I was fine with that and did it make it more difficult even after Charlie this was something that was part of my daily life in the workforce and what surprised me the most is how a lot of men didn't care mm -hmm. <laughs> at all. And you Google my name and there's like 28 pages of deep links from all over the world attached to this story. Mm -hmm. And VCs, you know, I've met a lot of wonderful mm -hmm. VCs, but there are a lot that didn't didn't care. We'd, okay. we'd still have the drinks where things go too far and I'm, I have to extricate myself from the situation. So it, yeah. it actually has affected my life in a day-to-day -day way far less than I ever expected. Going back to what you and I have talked about, which is the damage has been done. We've had the stories. We've had the repercussions. We have had people saying, well, this is going to change. Things are going to get better. But on a personal level, we're now looking at the repair, mm -hmm. as, I, as you have said. And for you and me and victims, there's a certain kind of repair. Mm -hmm. What is the kind of redemption, forgiveness, repair for the men? 
where are we there as a society or as you think about these issues? Mm -hmm. And I know you've thought about them. Just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. When I think of the repair cycle after the rupture, I look at it on a few different levels. Mm -hmm. I think there was a societal change and there were a lot of men that might have been behaving in a specific way and once they had the information and they made the decision to change their actions, there's a lot of space for those men. Mm -hmm. I also think that there are a lot of men that were specifically targeted in the Me Too movement that had enough awareness about their actions that they created systems around them to protect their behavior. Mm -hmm. And those men that had gone after the women to crush their spirit, attack them legally, threaten them, mm -hmm. ruin their careers, uh, that is a different, that is a very different ballgame. Mm -hmm. um, that, that isn't an easy integration back into self-awareness. Right. And, and a lot of that is not known how deep that went or how badly that was, that was taking place behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, there are women that we both know who don't ever want to see the uh, perpetrator again in, back in the workplace or, or or anywhere in society, and mm -hmm. then there's others who say, "Okay, I'm ready for a conversation here." Maybe where do you come down on this? If you want to tell us, well, if it if we're talking specifically about Charlie, mm -hmm. the truth is Charlie hasn't taken any steps of redemption. He mm -hmm. hasn't even acknowledged the things that he's done. Mm -hmm. So in his case, he also happens to be quite old. Mm -hmm. I don't think the American public is staying up late at night waiting for Charlie Rose to come back. <laughs> On the other hand, if he made different decisions, if he handled it differently at any point in time from the moment that article dropped, I would have welcomed him back. I, I think that would have been an amazing thing to have seen a human being understand that they cause pain and trauma and I would love that to be a mouthpiece for other men mm -hmm. going forward. Part of what I see, and again I'm only speaking on behalf of myself, is that I don't see any of these guys doing any work. Doing any work. And they are really smart. Mm -hmm. They know. They get it. Mm -hmm. And I find it insulting <laughs> that they haven't figured it out mm -hmm. yet. I guess I worry a little bit about sincerity and, you know, truly understanding how to be humble or show humility. And I guess that's something that I, I worry about, but I, I don't know well, if that's a good place to be or not. With these particular men, they've had positions of power for so long. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been outside the normal range of society for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years already. Um, and the kind of work that we're asking them to do is incredibly challenging work. Mm -hmm. You have to look in the mirror and say, I intentionally harmed people that had no power. Mm -hmm. I used my body and my mind and my influence to harm young women. That mm -hmm. is a very difficult thing to come to, to, come to grips with. Mm -hmm. And they just not, might not be strong enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. They just don't get to have a seat at the big boys table anymore. <laughs> I think we, we talk about solutions on this podcast. We try to talk about solutions and paths forward. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you had a couple of thoughts on 
solutions in regard to this issue? Where do you think it lies? I mean, obviously, conversation is always a good place to start, and hopefully podcasts like this. At Press Forward, we're doing education. So mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at the issues systemically. We're trying to understand mm-hmm. them and study them so that we can change the culture for to make it better and, and, and more equal. We're looking at training, and we have new training coming out. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely ways to do this. Is there something that we're missing or something that you think is as important or, or something that we need, need to be doing more of? I'd like to see... Um, a step back to look at the culture of each organization Mm -hmm. and for us to add a little bit more of the human aspect of that because I I have conversations with men a lot of times that say I am afraid to be alone with a woman Mm -hmm. I love my colleague as a friend and my instinct is to hug her Mm -hmm. Um, and my instinct is to say if you guys are friends that is a great thing Mm -hmm. I want you to feel close and connected to your colleagues Mm -hmm. so I think that it's first what is the culture of the office and where do you guys want to go how many hours a day are you spending there if you are a family what are the rules and the ethics of our family Mm -hmm. and then just like a family you can build down and use all of the curriculum that press forward has created Mm -hmm. and integrate that into the ethos of your own company that's a really good idea it sounds so simple, but it's also so important, and it's absolutely right. I think um, the Americans are spending more time in the workplace more than ever before, mm-hmm. and it's something that is um, often overlooked, is that you are interacting with people all the time, all day long. We are seeing some backlash. Mm-hmm. There, there are some studies that show um, there's a backlash and that men are, are being hired in positions because they don't want to deal with women. Unconscious bias is mm-hmm. playing a part into this. And um, that's something that we need to address. I just uh, wanted to know if you had any thought on that. It is a tricky um, situation because there are also all those other elements where we do have children. We are removed from the workforce for periods of time. During that period of time, women carry the mental load of running a household 80% to men men's 20%, Mm -hmm. um, but that also comes back to who do we want to be as a society. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Financially, we can't afford single-family households anymore. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So we need women in the workforce. And with that as a basis of this has to happen, we actually do not have that option because we do not live in a culture that has enough financial prosperity to afford that, then we need to create environments that create healthy women and healthy men. 11% of the workforce in 1960 was women. 40% of working mothers Mm -hmm. with children under the age of 18 are primary or sole breadwinners today. Mm -hmm. So you have a workforce you cannot ignore. Mm -hmm. And the policies need to catch up. Part of that is a government um, level where we have to go um, and look on a federal level of what are the things that we need to support to be able to uh, allow women in the workplace to excel at the same rate as men. But we have cultural biases when it comes to women and gender and sexuality. And I think we should be addressing all of these at one time. Since Mm -hmm. this is a time where there's a cultural break, it gives us this incredible opportunity Mm -hmm. to make new rules and do better. And it's going to be uncomfortable, and that's fine. We're built to do this as humans. We've always changed the rules and built new societies. So, Kyle, we've had a great conversation today. Thank you so much. Is there anything that we haven't hit upon that you feel is important to mention today that you think on your way home to New York, you're like, oh, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd said that? Is there anything else that you feel is important to get across to to our listeners on your behalf or on your behalf of others? I, I think the key 
for all of us is resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that we can ship, shift some of the situations that have happened to us um, into a state of ownership. Because when you are in a state of victimhood, the world becomes very, very scary. Mm-hmm. But when we realize that we are incredibly resilient human beings that can make the decision to be who we want to be every day, we start to get options. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank Thank you for having me. I love you guys. After every interview, we like to try to make sense of some of the themes introduced in the conversation. Kyle has such insight and introspection, so there is a lot to discuss. Joining me today is one of our Press Forward co-founders and senior strategist for training development, Gloria Riviera. She's also a longtime journalist with ABC News. And our resident expert, Press Forward's chief visionary officer, Carolyn McGordy Supple. There's so much to talk about here. I think what strikes me every time I talk to Kyle is her positivity and the way she has taken on so much and dealt with it with such integrity and clarity. That's the first thing that strikes me. I don't know, Gloria or or Carolyn, um, what either one of you thinks. Gloria, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. When she said, you know, when this happened, I was in a good place. I had forgiven Charlie. I was so struck by that because it made me think, how did you get there? How are you so at peace being there now sitting two feet away from me? She was just okay with that. And even able to say later, I still have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And what it made me think then is people who are accomplished in some areas are entirely capable of being horrific in others. Carolyn? What struck me about her thoughts and her approach and her experience and her courage to tell her stories was really that the the women who spoke up during the Me Too movement are courageous. And many of them have been defined linearly as as the Charlie Rose victim or the uh, Matt Lauer victim or the Halpern victim. But the truth is that to get to a place where you can be public and tell people what happened and put yourself out there um, and get fact-checked by journalists requires a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of courage. And they're not victims. They're ethical and courageous and heroes. It also struck me when I was listening to her is how individual each case is and how individual each person is in dealing with this. Um, Each perpetrator is different. Each um, victim is different. And I think it's important for anybody listening um, to know it's okay not to be... She's, she seems to me to be very forgiving. And I, I think there are some people that are not there yet. What Kyle said was that she had done a lot of work on herself since she left the Charlie Rose show. And so that contributed to her being able to forgive him. And it makes me think, as you said, this is so individual. And not every individual has been able to do the necessary work to get to a better place than where they they are when they face the news, when they face what happened. And and to do the work on both sides. So the, the men have have or haven't done the work and the victims in dealing with this need to do the work too. Right. What Kyle says is that Charlie hasn't taken a single authentic step in apologizing or owning his behavior. 
and by contrast, in listening to the, the way that she dealt with it, I thought with her family, if you think about the way the men have dealt with this, right? And by contrast, you have this incredibly courageous woman who talked to her family, who talked to her kids, who said, this is going to change, probably change our lives. I'm going to get you know harassed online and in the papers, and I'm going to be maligned. And she, she went into it with her family knowing how difficult it was going to be and yet she knew it was the right thing to do I, I think that takes a heck of a lot of courage and yet she did it because she knew it was the right thing to do you're absolutely right and she says it was when her children brought up well do you think this is still going on mm-hmm. that she had a moment of reckoning and the answer to that question was yes so she had her answer mm-hmm. that she would go on the record and it's still something that so many women need to hear mm-hmm. um, as they struggle with whether or not they'll go on the record in a concise, very black and white, literally, way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really inspiring moment. I also, you know, I I like that she said, you know, today I have the agency to say what you just did didn't feel good. I was not, uncom- I was not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Like she had no way to know and that's part of the training too that when we talk about when you see it happening what do you do what do you what words come out of your mouth what do you say to someone who witnessed it Mm -hmm. um and she just kind of really concisely said like i didn't have the tools to be able to say this is not okay although she's a very open person and spoke about it Mm -hmm. so openly with so many colleagues which is why when the reporters called her, they knew a lot about what happened. Right. Well, in, in retrospect, a lot of us always go through difficult situations later saying, oh, I wish I had done this, or I wish I had said this, or I wish I'd had the wherewithal to to act a different way or to say something different. I think it's always very different in the moment and very individual. And I think it's important to link these issues to ethical leadership, that all of these things are tied to making our workplaces better. It's not about women getting ahead or or ousting men. It's about being in environments where we can all do our best work. And she references that in her interview as well, that if there had been in a culture, an environment in which people felt like they could come forward and stand up to bad behavior because it gets in the way of good journalism, then it would be a much different place. So I was talking recently with a bunch of very good guy friends um, uh, this past week. And part of what we talked about with Kyle is truth and reconciliation, this idea of forgiveness and redemption. And my guy friends were asking me what happens next with these guys, with all these guys that have been uh, accused, that have been let go of their jobs, who have now been um, out in the wilderness somewhere. Um, you know, what happens to them? And how do, do we as a society um, react? And I think this is an issue that people are thinking about and people are talking about, and we are speaking as individuals here. Um, but I think that's a part of the conversation is what what is the room or the space where we feel like people who have made terrible, terrible mistakes are allowed to come back and when and how does that happen? Again, that goes back to the law. I mean, there'd been massive lack of compliance with the law for decades, and people weren't characterizing this behavior as as harassment and assault. It was characterized as pursuing relationships, immoral behavior in the workplace, when in fact it was violating people's workplace rights. And by the time some of these stories had been exposed, 
it was too late for people to do anything. And so some of these men are, are quite frankly lucky that they're not in jail. Um, that being said, what also concerns me about the dialogue is the way it's been told in the press, which is that the men lost their jobs after women told their stories. And it almost in some ways paints the men sometimes as victims. And that upsets me because two thirds of female journalists will experience harassment sometime in their career, most likely at work, and it won't be reported. And they're being harassed online and it's, it's changing the trajectory of their careers. And we're not thinking about them and how they heal. I mean, just look at this, the story of this amazing woman, Kyle, imagine what she could have offered to the profession of journalism and her, her life was completely changed. And why aren't we worried about her? We're still worried about the men. So part of me feels like we have to explore the consequences of these men's behavior and also characterize it appropriately before we can talk about them coming back. And also, it, no one benefits from speaking up. Gretchen Carlson um, had a happy ending, but the truth is a lot of other women who tell their stories, who file complaints, who do the right thing, end up being blacklisted and can't get jobs. So what about them? So the full picture hasn't really been revealed. At the same time, I do think we have to address the issue of redemption and, and reconciliation. There are plenty of ways to make a living. This is me personally speaking. There are plenty of ways to make a living. You don't have to be brought back to the purchase of power, especially in journalism and trust and integrity is so important. If you've abused your power behind the scenes at a time when the public does not trust the press, you shouldn't be given that privilege again, especially without showing true acknowledgement and ownership of your behavior. I'd love to understand what Gloria thinks too. I think we're in a period of wondering and questioning and trying to come to some sort of consensus as individuals who are connected to other individuals, but also as organizations, whether they be network news organizations or nonprofits, about some kind of agreement, some kind of I feel like there's a desire for what needs to happen. And is mm -hmm. is that even possible? Mm -hmm. So as some of our colleagues have suggested, okay, the three A's that you have to, mm -hmm. you know, check off, that might work for some, but it, it won't work for everyone right mm -hmm. now. And mm -hmm. so I think we're in the thick of it, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what each person needs or wants or can stand. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't – and. I know that some people have been very extreme in saying this person is basically a criminal and shouldn't be allowed back on this stage in any way, shape, or form. And then you have people like Kyle who say, I've forgiven Charlie and I have tremendous respect for, respect for the work that he's done. Mm -hmm. Those are two very extreme places. She's also said, though, that he hasn't owned his behavior and that he can't get a seat back at the big boys' table. <laughs> without really acknowledging the harm he's caused. So while she does forgive him and have tremendous respect for him and the work that he's done, she also is holding him accountable, which one is what it was just one of the reasons I really love Kyle because she's so positive and she's so forgiving and resilient. She also has very strong boundaries and parameters. And the three the three A's that I mentioned before are Authentic apology, advocacy. Acknowledgement of harm. And acknowledgement of harm. Yeah, yeah, so authentic apology, acknowledgement of harm, and then advocacy. I think it goes back to our discussion about power, that this isn't necessarily about gender, it's about power. And the reason why women were so disproportionately impacted is because we haven't been in positions of power. 
And so even the narrative around Me Too, in which women told their stories and and powerful men lost their jobs, there had been a bit of a quote-unquote power shift. However, we're still not comfortable seeing women lead. And we're, it still makes us unsettled to know that if women are understanding or people who are in positions of less influence can make an impact on somebody who's powerful, we're still grappling with that as a society as well. One thing that we always end our debrief on is a silver lining. And I'm going to start this time, Carolyn, I know you usually start. So I'm going to start this time because I think what Press Forward has done is try to address these issues with deliberation and with thought. And we've taken time to assess and to study and to research the best path forward and and we don't have nobody has all the answers if somebody had cracked the code on this you know they would have done it years ago so i think it's really important that we do this and i think with these kinds of conversations i think we are doing it i think we're bringing such a service to to understanding where we go from here and doing it together with everybody and not excluding anybody in these conversations so that would be my my silver lining in today's conversation carolyn what what's yours for those of you who are tuning in the first time, we use the phrase silver lining to explain just the, the benefit that has come from the Me Too movement, that out of the horrible things or nasty things that happened to us in the workplace, the silver lining has been meeting these extraordinary people and women along the journey to make change. And so for me, a silver lining is Kyle, that someone who had experienced such an awful thing with Charlie Rose has now risen to be such a voice of positivity, truly sets an example for all of us. I agree with both of those things. I think the fact that this conversation is happening in this space is a silver lining, that we've moved forward enough, we've moved the dial forward enough to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't need a conclusion right now. We don't need something wrapped up with a bow that says, here's what you do. But just the fact that we're talking about it, and even the scope of things, that there are men who have committed injustices against women, and they have not been on the Matt Lauer level, or the Charlie Rose level, or the Mark Halpern level. They've been on far different levels. And some of those stories are interesting to look at because they've been allowed back into the conversation because they've exhibited authentic apologies. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they are few and far between at this point, but they exist. And I think that that goes into the silver lining of where we are in the conversation. Absolutely. Terrific. Thank you both so much. And uh, we will be continuing this conversation for sure. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you, Diana. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Diana Pierce Burgess, the Executive Director of Press Forward. Visit us online at www.thepressforward.org. Join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Press Forward Now on Facebook and at The Press Forward on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to catch our podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. We'll see you next week.